This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Guys, welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader, and before we get into it from my panel discussion from Maker Camp, let's just take care of a little bit of business. What do you say, everybody? Come on. I want to welcome aboard a new sponsor to the show. You've probably heard of them before, and I know that I've been dealing with them for quite a long time, Broadbeck Ironworks. Broadbeck Ironworks are friends of mine. Vince and Ryan are friends of mine. I've been working with them for quite a while, and they want to sponsor the show, which I appreciate. Uh, let me just tell you about Broadbeck Ironworks. They make a 2x72 grinder that's outstanding. And I know what you're saying. Is this knife talk? No, this isn't knife talk. This is a full blast podcast. But the grind, the 2x72 grinder is, ni- is, is made for not just knife makers, but other, other sculptors, makers, woodworkers, metalworkers. It's a dynamite piece of equipment for your shop. It's got everything. And it's a 2x72 grinder, which is great if you're using uh, 2x72 belts, which you give a, you get a long, nice long life. They're great. It's great for woodworking. It's great for sculpting. I know that David Madera has one. He's on board. Leah Arapach, she's on board. Uh, Keith Mitchell, he's got a broadback. These are all not knife makers, and they love their broadback. You can do it horizontally, you can vertically. It's great. And if you go to... Um, broadbeckironworks.com, there are some packages and discounts. Now, here's the thing. You're saying to yourself, what do you mean packages and discounts? Well, they have they have machines. They have machines that are disassembled that you can put together yourself. They sell them assembled, then you can just you put you get it home, put, turn it on, and it's ready to roll, or you can put it together. You also have, they have different attachments. They have uh, contact wheels. They have different kind of grinding attachment, different platens, all sorts of different attachments that are good for not only your broadback, but if you have different chassis, you can retrofit their their attachments for your grinder. So if you go to if you go to broadbackironworks.com and use promo code Knife Talk two hundred, you get two hundred dollars off any of their grinder packages. They have their grinder packages at the max, the premium, the mega. It's for sure worth going to their website or following them on Instagram. Knife Talk 100 will give you a $100 gift certificate off, $100 off of their sharpening system, their surface grinder, and their leather sewing machines. They, Their surface grinder I have, it's outstanding. It's outstanding. Um, and their sharpening system is a new, uh, a new machine that they have. It's really great. There's a lot of guys who are using it and who really love it. So go follow BroadbeckIronworks.com. Uh, go follow them on Instagram. They're doing a lot of great stuff, and they are not just for knife makers. They are. They have all their grinders at Forge and Fire, ladies and gentlemen. They are a lot of a lot of great knife makers using it, but also a lot of great sculptors and everything else. So Broadbeck Ironworks, welcome aboard. I'm looking forward to talking about your stuff because I use I use your grinder. My your my, my number one grinder is a Broadbeck. Next is Axe Wax. Axe Wax, all-natural food-safe wax for your axe, for your wood, for your steel. You know how it is. It's great, and it's all-natural. Last episode, Andrew Alexander was wiping on his lips. He was using it as a lip balm. I mean, I don't know if that's what they meant it for, but, I mean, he's still alive and kicking, so there you go. If you go to axewax.us, put in the promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off your order. If you're in the UK, UKKnifesupplies.com is accepting FULLBLAST10. If you're in the EU, Keith Colby at knifematerial.at is accepting Full Blast 10, if you're in Australia, if you go to Gamaco, that's artisansupply.com.au. They're taking Full Blast 10. And if you're in Australia, Nordic Edge 
nordicedge.com.au. They're taking full blast 10. So go get yourself a couple pucks. I love it. I think it's great stuff. I use it on my knives. I use it on a lot of the wood. I uh, Most of the wood that I have, I even use it on the hammer handles. When I went to Maker Camp, I gave all my hammer handles a slick of axe wax, and I used them all weekend. They felt great. So go get yourself some axe wax. Next is Total Boat. I'm, I hung out with the people at Total Boat this weekend. And they're great. They're they're making uh, paints. Uh, they make adhesives, paints, primers, and polishing compounds. They did a great event where you got to build your own boat. And they had a total boat regatta at Maker Camp. It was totally great. Um, I like their stuff a lot. Uh, it's for boaters and DIYers. But it's also knife makers too. I use them for laminating my handle scales. And my favorite thing that they have that I use a lot of is their uh, UV Cure Clear Resin. So if you go to TotalBoat.com and put in the promo code FULLBLAST10, you're going to get 10% off your order. I definitely think it's great. A lot of guys are using it for river tables. A lot of guys, I mean, if that's an insult, I apologize to whoever. They're using it for uh, uh, epoxy projects. I know Keith Decent uses it. Uh, Keith Mitchell uses it. Jimmy DeResta uses it. Derek from Alden. Um, they're all using Total Boat, and it's great stuff. So go to TotalBoat.com. Put in the promo code FULLBLAST10. You're going to get 10% off your order. Next is my friends at Trojan Horse Forge. Uh, this is like the un, one of the unsung heroes of the small business in the knife-making community. The guys at Trojan Horse Forge created a knife-finishing vice. Knife-finishing vices are you got your knife done, and then maybe you slap some handles on, you're ready to carve it up, and you put it in the vice, and then it moves around. Well, this one, the stable rail knife-finishing vice is more, 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 more. So they have a plate that bolts on so you can hand sand your knife and i was hand sanding one of my knife blades and i realized well i have a bill benke file guide on it and i'd like to make sure that i get my plunge lines crisp so i was able to move the stable rail plate forward to accommodate the uh the the uh the the bill benke file guide and it worked. It worked perfectly. So if you're making an integral bolster, it'll accommodate that. If you're using a, a making a kukri curved, it'll accommodate that. If you have a distal taper, it's got these pins that support your distal taper. Perfect. So if you go to trojanhorseforge.com and the, put in the promo code full blast, you're going to get free shipping in the United States. So it's great. I mean, it is great. The people I know who get it are just like, yo, this was a really good buy. And you can say, well, it's a very expensive. They also have payment plans. So go to TrojanHorseForge.com. Get yourself one of them stable rail knife finishing vices. You won't regret it. I'm telling you, you won't regret it. Okay? Listen to me. Trust me. I'm, 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 I'm not leading you astray. Okay? I'm not leading you astray. Last but not least, uh, let's talk about knife, uh, maritime knife supplies. That's MaritimeKnifeSupply.ca, but I just talked to Lawrence Lake. This, I saw him this week. I spent some time with him. He also said that he bought the, the domain name from MaritimeKnifeSupply.com, so you can't go wrong either way. They have all your knife-making needs there at Maritime Knife Supply. Belts, abrasives, steels, kilns, forges, presses, heat-treating ovens, anvils, whatever you need to get started or resupply. They have axe wax. They also have uh, mold-polishing stones. They have all the TR Maker stuff. They have Dr. Laren's book, Knife Engineering. 
It's great. And if you go to and get yourself some abrasive belts on the packs of 10, they have 10, they have one, one, they have 10% off because one belt is free. So go get yourself some of that. Uh, he gave me some of, they have some octagon steel, which is really cool. He has all sorts of different steels. He's always getting it in. And Lawrence is a knife maker. He is, uh, as we speak, I think he's at the Rick Dunkerley class, the New England School of Metalwork. He's studying under Mareko Mamasi. This isn't some guy who's just like, once, I mean, this guy is learning from some of the best, and he understands your needs. And if there's something that you want, he'll take care of you. Like he'll say, if you some, if you say if you're in Canada, and you're saying, you know, we really need this. He will try to figure out a way to get it to you. So he is great. If you go to uh, maritimeknifesupply.com or knife maritimeknifesupply.ca, go get yourself some of that. I got some belts from him. I got some other things from him. He's the sponsors. He uh, is a distributor for. Uh, combat abrasives. He's got rhino and he got it all. He got it all. And if you're United States, you say, why would I order something from Canada? The price is the same and, and, and the speed is the same. You don't really notice. It's definitely worth it. So go get yourself, go get yourself some of that, uh, tr- uh maritime knife supply and support another maker in the maker community. It was great hanging out with you, Lawrence and at maker camp. And I really appreciate your time and your energy and your help and your generosity, frankly. Thank you to all my sponsors. I appreciate it. I am back from Maker Camp. I'm back from Maker Camp. And I had a great time, wonderful time. It was a great time. Uh, the Blackthorn Resort was awesome. We had great food. Will Shear and Steve Pellegrino made a beautiful barbecue, and their other guys were making it. There was blacksmiths and my boys the modern forge were there and john ariani and cliff and jesse and carrie were there mareko who blew my doors off he was so watching him make knives was really inspiring he's he's i've known him for a long time but watching him do knives that's a whole another level we're going to talk about that knife talk uh woodworkers and craftspeople and makers and sculptors and it was just a wonderful experience and we've been doing it for a long time. It is in uh, Catskill area, East Durham, not far from where Jimmy Duress is. And just give you a background. So the Maker Camp is on the Blackthorn Resort. It's like a campground. They also have rooms available and they have a dining room and, and, and they have events there. And Maker Camp started five years ago. And I like to, I like to, I like to say that it's, well, who cares why? But they started to have these Maker events up there. And the blacksmiths, we all used to do it. And it's been growing and growing and growing. So one of the big features that's been, that you, if you're on Instagram, you've noticed is there are all these wonderful photographs taken. All, you know, of knife, best looking. You, if you have, if you're a maker and you, you want to give your best picture that, of yourself, you get one from, from Mark Adams. Mark Adams Pictures sets his booth up. He takes incredible pictures of everybody. And he just, he captures this joy of these, these incredible people. And it's, he's just outstanding. So Mark came up to me last year and says, I was thinking about, he listens to the podcast. He listens to knife talk. He listens to full blast. And he says, I was thinking maybe we should do a a panel discussion. I was thinking about putting together a panel discussion. Would you be interested in leading it? I said, yeah, sure. No problem. And I'll talk about that in, in the, in the episode. 
So we got everything together, and here's a little bit of... So we figured it out. I got some recording equipment from Jesse, and I got some stuff. And so we said, all right, we're going to do it. And I thought to myself, I'm going to do a panel discussion. I might as well record it for an episode. So we try to figure out a way to make it sound good and find a place. And because it was so crazy there, and everyone had all these, you know, scheduling and everything like that, it was kind of hard to find a place that was quiet and was warm it happened to be like in the in the in the young 40s maybe even early 30s by the time we got to to record so we did a panel discussion in a tent um at night at on a, on the Saturday of of knife talk of uh, the Saturday of McCamp so Mark and I went to Jimmy Dressel into some space heater and we had to borrow someone's tent, you know, like a big tent that was filled with sewing equipment and we had to make it warm. And then we had to figure out Keith Decent was helping me with the audio and we try to set it up to make a beautiful recording of this panel discussion. Mark had asked, he's had a, he knew what he wanted. He knew what he wanted and he let me, just, and he also didn't micromanage me. He had a good idea of what he wanted and he says, you just do your thing. You just say whatever, whatever comes to your mind. And I had, a, I had time to think about it. He had picked, he had picked four excellent people in different avenues of making. He says, I want to do this panel discussion with Leah Arapach, who's an incredible metal worker, with Joshua Prince, extraordinary bladesmith and sculptor. Uh, Andrea DeLeon, who's another glass blower and metal worker and just jeweler and just a really talented, talented person. And Keith Deason, who is a fantastic, interesting young artist. And we got all together in a tent, in a, not like a fucking, not like a pup tent. It wasn't when we were getting our sleeping bags. And we just started like yammering on. We had a tent with a table and they had the microphones. So when we started it, it was super cold. It was super cold. We did everything we could. Mark and I tried to do everything we could to get everybody at the same time and at the same place, and it was warm and it sounded good. So this episode, the the my own, it was a great conversation. We talked about creativity. Your maker camp, you see all these things, you see all these great pieces of equipment and techniques and stuff like that. And what do you do with them? What is the idea of creativity? How do these people find their voices? So we had a long conversation about finding your voice and the it's it's uh the artistic mind and how you create you know learn techniques in order to to express yourself and to kind of put your stamp on something it was a great conversation the only problem is is the audio might not be as good as i would have liked it to be and i take full responsibility for that so so you're going to be hearing you're going to be hearing clanging in the background that's the blacksmith tent that's like 200 yards away we had like maybe even more than 200 yards away the microphones were picking up everything they were picking up the trucks they were picking up you know golf carts coming by they were picking up grinders and mig welders and they were picking up all the things at maker camp so stick with it it was a great conversation and uh, i really really appreciate mark who has just a great attitude. We're going to have him on the podcast. I wanted to have a conversation with him. Fascinating guy. He has a vision. We're going to keep this thing going. We're going to figure something out. Follow Mark Adams' pictures on Instagram. Follow Leah. You follow, you follow Leah and everybody, and Leah and Andrea and, and Josh, and I'll have it in the show notes, and Keith. But without any further ado, here is the panel discussion that we had. It's not like the standard conversation because there's a four or five people in there. Uh podcast wise but it was a great conversation i hope you listen to it and i hope you like it and i hope you come to maker camp next year okay all right well craig take it away baby all right guys see you later welcome to the full blast podcast from maker camp 
Can you believe it? Maker Camp. My name is Jeff Fader, and this is presented to us and to you, the listener, by my friend, Mark Adams Pictures. Mark Adams Pictures reached out to me last year and said, Hey, would you like to do a, a panel discussion on creativity? And I said, Sure, that sounds awesome. And then I forgot about it completely. And then he reminded me about a month later, and he says, hey, you still want to come back to Maker Camp and do a panel discussion on creativity? And I said, what? Sure, let's do it. So Mark was nice enough to put together a panel discussion uh, at Maker Camp with four incredibly talented makers. Incredibly talented makers. Uh, Leah Arapach, who, Leah Arapach on Instagram. Uh, Andrea DeLeon. Andrea underscore day underscore Leon underscore on IG. Joshua Prince. Hey. And everyone's favorite, Keith Decent. Guys, how are you? Good. Great. Great, Jeff. Do you want to do a little bit of um, introduce yourselves? Introduce yourselves to the audience so we can kind of understand what's going on here. Go for it, Josh. You carry that way. All right. This is Joshua Prince, Prince Works Forge. I'm uh, living in Rhode Island. And uh, focus uh, at this point in time on, uh, in terms of the craft, like knife making, blacksmithing, metalworking in general, which is really a big departure from what I've done in the past, uh, which mainly focused on woodworking and sculptural things. So this is, um, it's a new world for me. It's, I've been in, steeped in it for the last probably five, six years now, but it's really taken, taken me to places I, I never expected um, in anything I've worked in before, it's taken me further, and I've built like more community around it. It's just been wonderful, okay. and um, this really, is, I really appreciate being involved in this. It's pretty special. Um, hey guys, I'm Andrea Delion. Um, it's really hard to describe what I do, but um, essentially, I'm a sculptor uh, that works a lot with um, fire, and fire elements. So I do scientific glass. I teach metalsmithing and jewelry fabrication, and I also make knives. Um, and so it's just been a study of materials. Uh, for the past, I would say, like 12 years, um, understanding the world around me, really, um, trying to um, channel all that energy um, and carry it across to you guys, actually. Yeah. Um, I'm Leah Arpach. I'm a metal sculptor out of Oakland, California. I make monsters and aliens. You guys are awesome. Nice. Um, Keith Decent, I, I build art, I guess. Uh, I'm, I'm an artist, and I have a background in woodworking and putting stuff together, and I just hop from genre to genre constantly and try to mix them all together to make good stuff. When, when Mark called me up, and told me that he wanted to do this panel discussion. He had already handpicked the four of you. And really spending some time thinking about all four of you as craftspeople, as makers, as sculptors, as artists, I was very impressed by the people that he chose because all of you have a very similar discipline in the sense that you've defined yourselves by your creativity and you've established yourselves a voice in the disciplines that you have done. Create now. We're here at Maker Camp. There's beautiful tools, and the people are showing you how to weld and how to use wood turning devices. And there's blacksmithing, and there's you're 
showing people the techniques in order to do these creative things. How did you find yourself creative in your own discipline? Let's start with Leah. Um, well, I went to art school, so that was how I kind of got into it. Um, and started as a painter uh, and moved into sculpture as I decided that I was more into that. So I think I always kind of set out to be creative um, and had a big, put a lot of value on that. Um, and I think that it's really been more more challenged to, to do something highly technical and to maintain that creativity through the procedure, you know. One of the things that's interesting is, is learning the disciplines and then being able to impose your creativity with those disciplines and finding a voice as recognizable as your own. You especially, all four of you, have very distinct styles in the, dis, in the disciplines that you do. And I'm trying to kind of think about how we find our own voice, how we establish creativity. And, and with that said, is I read that I was reading this um, a few articles, and one article that was said was creativity is a novel step of being the first to identify that something might be possible in the first place. But innovation is the action of putting things into practical reality despite challenges, resistance, rather than just contemplating. So the idea is, is being creative. You can have the idea, but if you don't establish that creativity, are you being creative? You just if you're talking about it, he's just talking about it enough. I think it is. Okay. I think that in the umbrella of creativity, that that is having developing the idea and the design, executing it's it's a little different. I consider executing it a process of more uh, self-realization. For example, okay. like you don't know what you're capable of doing until you're doing it. So, and then along the way, your designs are going to change because you're having a conversation with the material, trying to get the, that technical ability to, to execute what you want. Um, but, you know, along the way, you discover other things, and it turns out, like, sometimes completely different than you imagined, right? So, In your experience, as a young person, being creative, how did you find, how did you, how did you establish the direction that you wanted to go? Um, honestly, it, it took a while. I started out in architecture. I also went to art school. It was a, a design school, but um, the program at UT was really broad, and I never liked being um, cornered, right? right? So it actually um, allowed me to, to experiment with photography, painting, intaglio, sculpture, ceramics, and metals, and I, I just gravitated to metals for the physicality of it. And uh, through that, um, I was just doing the assignments, but then I, you start seeing a common thread. And once you kind of establish like what you're attracted to, you start um, honing in on the, your concepts, right? Um, so it, I was never really like the artsy creative person growing up and in high school. It wasn't until later that I started um, getting a lot more self, sense of self-worth through what I was making. Um, and then I, I just got addicted to it, really. It's interesting when you say self-worth. Yeah. Because I was thinking about the difference between, you know, and, and maybe it's unfair for me to pigeonhole people, but you have this, there's, 
there's almost like these di- people identify with as different things. Some people mm-hmm. identify as artists. Mm-hmm. Some people identify as makers. Some people identify as, you know, craftspeople. Mm-hmm. What you said was interesting to me because it made me think about why do we create? Mm-hmm. Why do we create? Yeah. Is it a sense of self-satisfaction? Is it, a, is it to... Not a sense of self-satisfaction. Is it in order to realize self-satisfaction or is it are we looking for some type of approval i think it's uh two sides of the same coin yeah um i personally it is a a way of being really introspective and externalizing all these ideas or questions really um into a physical state right so you're actually like learning through making this thing and a byproduct of that is um, yeah, certain validation, or maybe connecting with somebody else, just through that same idea. Just expressing this thing might uh, resonate with somebody, and in that way, um, you're creating, you know, some some self, sense of self worth. Especially as a woman, you're like kind of trained to like have um, self esteem only catered to one thing, but when you're externalizing it into something physical, it's it's. Um, not as ephemeral, right? So. It's a well, it's a physical manifestation of your own of, of who you are at the time. Right, right. Joshua Prince, you spent your time, your early days. Father was a Rhode Island School of Design professor. You had a table saw in the kitchen. <laughs> Parents making dinner. You're sawing away. How are you finding your creativity? Blossom. I got um, through a lifetime of doing what I wanted and expressing myself, and definitely there's a, a lot of what I do is indulgent. It's it's something that I want to do for my own reasons, whether there's somebody to admire it in the end or not, may or may not matter to me. Certainly, recognition is, is valuable. But a piece of uh, someone summed it up not too long ago, and um, I've mentioned this before, but it was uh, Nick Anger. Anger and he summed it up by saying, listen to no one. And the context of it was a discussion I was having with him on, you know, do you think I should do this, or what do you think about this idea? This is, is a little unorthodox. And he said, listen to no one. And that summed it up for me in terms of, you know, expressing your ideas and, and, and pursuing the things that you want to pursue the way you want to pursue them. And I, I feel like that is kind of directed me throughout my life but it was summed up so nicely in that statement. What's interesting about you, Josh, is you're in a field that's very there's a lot of, it's not sculpture the bladesmithing knife making world is not sculptural so you have these guardrails in regards to what's correct and what's not correct you have organizations that tell you what's correct and not correct and I was talking about, and your work is, is I, I think that ten years ago you would have been vilified almost because of your unorthodox approach to bladesmithing. However, because your scientific experience and your technical abilities are so high level, you have been uh, embraced as one of the most innovative knife makers in the country today. I don't think 10 years ago that would have been the case. I think tastes have changed to the point but I, I'm fascinated by the fact that 
you had a sculptor's a sculptor's or an artist's mindset and then made that in a very guarded guard railed craft of bladesmith yeah I definitely agree with you I think other people have have paved the way for me to show up and do what I'm doing and I, I don't have all the knowledge um, that I probably should have of who, who those people were but I'm sh- I've met a few of them and I know that they've you know really done things that were outside of the normal standards and I've kind of those are the people that I admire the most and um, that's what I seek to do but I, I certainly agree with you you know in the past certainly wouldn't have been as accepted um, but imagine going from being shunned no I mean I would have say like 10 years ago if you you know brought the work that you're doing not the what work that you're doing right now but some of your previous work there would have been this like almost like he's not just not doing what we're, what you're supposed to be doing and you wouldn't have been celebrated the way you are now agreed and it certainly is reinforcing to have people um, appreciate what I'm doing so it is certainly that bolsters me and that keeps me going so there's definitely an element of that there's an internal element an internal drive and it and also the, I think it's twofold as as Andrea said it's it's two sides of the same coin you know for most of us we're psychological creatures you know we need certain things to to survive and to thrive and um, support is important and uh, I, certainly I seek that like like any rational person um but it's hard to seek support in a field that doesn't want to give support to an orthodox approach. Well, you got to learn mm-hmm. the rules before you break them, right? Discipline. Yeah. Yeah, work ethic. And everyone can see that with Josh. No, uh, He's not just like... By you know, a mile. Yeah. By a mile. Yeah. I like the idea of knowing the rules before you can break them. I, I think about... This might be a little bit... A little bit outside... This is a little bit of a stretch of a metaphor, but sports... And I know you're a big baseball fan. And one of the things I really appreciate about baseball, and I think a lot of fans probably maybe won't say it, but I think they feel the same way, that like, cheating is a part of the game. Like, if you're if there was no cheating in baseball, I don't know that the game would be as... I, I'd say about half the excitement of the game wouldn't exist. Right. Totally cheating. Yeah. Like, so I, I, yeah. It's a really narrow sport where a rule set is heavy it's pastoral it's it's slow but there are moments where anything can happen it's because you don't know what someone's going to do next a lot of the time exactly i mean how long has that been part of the lore of baseball i feel like met i don't know if the metaphor exactly matches but i feel like if you're playing not playing a game but if you're in something if you're not pushing and trying to do things that are you know maybe a little cheeky you know a little outside of the norm Having but, a little fun with it, but if you were making sculpture, this wouldn't. Even, this conversation would have been happening. Those things would be lauded, right? Yes. Versus, yeah, yeah. All, right out of the shoot. They'd be expected. You'd be. Yes. It would be. A, it would be a uh, evolution growth, and that's it. There wouldn't be like a. This is right or that's wrong. Right. There's no. definitely a mismatch. I mean, there there certainly would have been a time where I I would just like to pursue art. I've always kind of been in this weird space, even with the woodwork, when that was my focus, where I would do very unorthodox joinery. I would take joinery that I learned and try to do something a little bit different um, with it. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't able to get as far with that because it's just a different industry. Um, perhaps, you know, now with technology, I'd get more exposure and be able to push it further, and that's probably a function of my, my success 
um, with what I'm doing now is things have changed, Instagram, you know, uh, having a website, being able to get more exposure gives you the ability to maybe push your push what it is you're doing, promote it, s- sell work, which re- you know reinforces my ability to produce work. Whereas with uh, with woodworking, I, I did the same. I, my method was the same. It was always to do things that were outside of the norm in terms of methods. Um, with a little bit of information, try to take that in my own direction without necessarily looking to model exactly what someone else was doing. This brings me to something that's interesting, what you're touching upon and actually kind of like going into with Keith, is the idea that we're pigeonhole our creativity is pigeonholed into a specific discipline. When you started talking about making sculpture and work doing woodworking and then translating it into metalwork or translating it into knife making, there's almost this sense, especially in knife making, maybe maybe Andre, you understand this too, mm-hmm. is there's almost like when you make your first knife or you start to become a knife maker, that's your birthday in terms of knife making, as opposed to the the discipline that Josh has had as a sculptor, tr- you know, informed his knife making ability to the point where he was very, you know, it's almost like you can't really say that I've been a knife maker for eight years. I mean, he's, been, you know, you can't discount his whatever years and years of sculpture, which makes me want to talk to Keith, who Keith Deason is right now. I was one of my favorite follows because you're watching the evolution of your work as a sculptor. I see you as a sculptor. I see what you, I see the rugs that you're making as sculpture, and being able to see the start of where you were coming from in getting involved with these rug sculptures. It's really cool because I don't feel like I mean you've been tufting rugs for now for like what let's couple, say couple four years, couple years. However. That doesn't discount your years of graphic design. It yeah. doesn't discount your, you know, you're not just like... Yeah, I, well, the, the rug thing came because I had an idea. I wanted the, the popsicle rugs that I make. The, um, the popsicle idea was almost a fully formed idea years before I even found out about rug tufting. And my catalog of disciplines, my, my, my catalog of skills wasn't up to snuff to execute that idea um, well enough to my satisfaction. And so I was thinking about it every time. Like the closest I got in my head was to do um, uh, fiberglass wrapped um, foam sculptures, and they could be really wet and drippy. But that was a little grosser than I wanted. Right. I wanted to hit a more um, comforting, joyful, nostalgic vibe than the gross kind of like that. Like uh, it's very popular in like vinyl toys right now. Yeah. Independent vinyl toys. A lot of them uh, go very. There's like Ron English who does a lot of this stuff. He's it's very kind of gross, teeth pulling back, like lips pulling back big grotesque teeth on a very cute character that's like also the greasy um, I wanted to avoid that because it, it had almost become tropey to me at that point and so the day the day the minute the second I saw somebody with a rug tufting gun making a rug I was like that's what I have to do to get this idea out of me and into the world and so I ordered the gun and you know, months and months and months later I finally got it all working but yeah it's but it's, your trajectory has been that of a sculptor or an artist an artist in the sense of there's this there's this short steps every piece you make is the next step to your next piece you're not just jumping around and all of a sudden doing like this you have a very logical progression in your work which I think is is part of how creativity as artists is accepted this you want to see the body of the work we want to see where people came from yeah as artists and what's interesting to me is in terms of creativity I almost feel like and this is just my opinion 
I feel that that's the most pure way to express yourself is to have, you know, see where you've come from. Mm-hmm. To, to, to be able to show people, okay, all right, I just didn't do a, like an apple today, and then I just did a you know a sword tomorrow. Yeah. You know, there's like this logical progression. You can see where you've come from. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the concept of creativity, and Leah, your work is just very similar. Where there's this this sense of growth as an artist, and I just wonder. I wonder is because the artist mindset is different than the maker mindset. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. How would you see Leia? How would you see your work evolve in terms of in your mind? Oh, it's a motorcycle, ladies and germs. <laughs> ladies and germs. This is like oh, we're doing the best we can we're with the audio. Yeah, we're in it. We're in it. Tell me, tell me how you've seen your your growth as an artist. In your mind, when you see when you're working on one piece, then you go to the next. How is there? Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm able to see myself on an art because I know where I'm coming from and I know where I want to go. And I, I mean, to, just to backtrack for a second, like I I think that yeah, Keith, I think as an artist, you tell the story of your evolution better than anyone else. I love how honest and open and and. Uh, Chronological, your story's been, and it's Thanks. always fun to follow you and watch what you're doing because that that growth and you take us along on your creative discoveries, and I think that's really cool. I kind of bury that stuff a little bit more. I think, like I, I tend to not. Uh, I'm I'm not sure if I'm as good at telling my stories. I I would like to be, or if I'm revealing enough about my sense of discovery and where I'm going. I mean, I, I do feel like recently. A lot of things have exploded at the first, at the same time. Like I'm starting to incorporate blacksmithing techniques, and then I'm kind of jumping into Damascus at the same time. I'm not making it. I'm jo- Joshua here has been nice enough to to uh, gift me some beautiful stuff, and we actually made our first Damascus together today. But um, uh, it, there's a lot going on at once, and it it feels a little intense. But where I want to be in I'm at, I'm at the maybe the lower middle end of an arc where I want to be doing some extremely realistic, you know, what what I see my work as very cartoon like compared to where I want it to be in the future, and I I, I see the the growth and the path ahead of me, and it's it's going to be decades, but yeah. What I, what I like about following you is that it's because you don't reveal as much of the process. It's just it's the reveal. It's always, it's like it's like a surprise. It just jumps. The, you, the new work jumps out at you, and then you have to really look into it, and see it, and, and feel where you've gone mm-hmm. and how you've done it. And I don't I don't I'm not a metal sculptor at all. So for me, it's really interesting because I'm like yeah, it, it's it's almost out of thin air that you're pulling these concepts and, and putting them into the metal, <laughs> and it's really it's great. And I feel like if I had if I was following along with the process, I'd, I'd be lost more with your work because metal sculpting is very inter- It's it's very like. Uh, Nuance. It's very scientific in a lot of ways. It's it's, you'd be yeah. bored. You'd be bored. Yeah, I'd be bored. I, I would say, but yeah. <laughs> if you were with me minute after minute, you make you'd be you make you, you, you make lots of really intelligent, dynamic, small moves, yeah. and it really shows in the end product. I I tend to make huge dramatic shifts, which are more fun to follow along because I can go. I'm over here. Three steps later, I'm over here. But why do give you, you the overview? Why do you say that? Why do I say that's what I do? Yeah, I'm I I am very linear, and I feel like in terms of evolution, ev- uh, especially in a discipline. Thought process, not so much. My thoughts are scattered, and I try to pull them from everywhere into the into the object that I'm making. 
but discipline wise I'm very linear I, I try to I want to get better at the carving aspect of the rug I want to get better at uh, the patterning aspect of the rug I do a couple pieces in that vein and I bring it all together towards the end I have the pads converge to where I want to be uh, and then um, I'm losing my own train of thought because well, my thoughts are so scared. Here, here, here's, 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 yeah. here's what here's what, what interests me is that you have this idea of the evolution of the technique that you use. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, totally. See, when I look at your work, I look at it as the thematic decisions that you've made from the the, the ice cream pop that looks like uh, that you you, want, you first started doing the tufting rugs. If you don't know Keith um, Keith these and I interviewed him a couple while ago, and he was started right when he started to do these rugs that were based on the the uh, cartoonish uh, melted ice cream pops that you'd get from uh, an ice cream truck. Yeah. And they were amazing because it was the idea that they were a rug, but then it was the, you know you get an ice cream from the ice cream truck and then you open it up and it does not look like the packaging and it looks like you know, <laughs> eyeballs are all fucked up and everything looks great. And description. What I what I noticed is when I look at your work now, I notice and I think I think that Leah is right. You've been very generous with allowing people to see your evolution, and I feel honestly, and I'm not just saying this, I feel like a privilege that I was able to see from the beginning to where you are now, and I don't think that it's scattered at all. I don't really think that the technique is part of the artistic decision. I think that that's just part of the growth of you as an artist. I think the thematic decisions that you've made. Mm-hmm are very, very, very not scattered whatsoever. To the point where now you go from the, you know, you did the Sonic the Hedgehog and Spider-Man and Batman and stuff like that, and now you're starting to make these pops of these, you know, landscapes and, you know, microbes, and it it all makes, it doesn't doesn't seem scattered whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I love the animal cell. That was oh, fantastic. Yeah, that, that yeah. Was immediately recognized the Jeff has the plant cell. Which yeah. was, I have the plant cell, which love it. I forgot to bring. I mean, it's <laughs> such a crazy <laughs> idea. It's aging. A popsicle it's, made out of that. Collecting of it. dust on the wall. It's growing in the in the in the. Yeah. Deep. So I mean, this is what's interesting to me, and, and and I think that Mark, when you came up with this original idea, it, I in my mind, the idea of creativity, I see it almost as in like talking to people, because a lot of the people who come to Maker Camp. Or maybe this is their first time doing any of these things. We're sitting in a room now where there's lots of sewing machines. There's next tent next to us is the welders. We're probably going to hear the MIG welders in five minutes. They're learning these new techniques. And it's what you do. You can learn the techniques, but then what are you going to do with them? Is really what I thought when in regards to this kind of panel discussion. Okay, you learn how to MIG weld. Okay, now what? What are you going to do with the MIG weld? That's actually a huge part of my demo, actually. Um, is like it takes so long just to get the techniques down, the foundations. That then once you learn them, it's like I'm I'm still trying to figure out my voice in, in glass. Like, um, and that's a common thing that a lot of glass blowers tell me. Like, as soon as like you start actually getting really good at it, it's like your your body gives out. Really, you know? and especially the furnace glass blowing. Right. Uh, when you know it's it's really physically taxing, but um, that's that's like where it comes in, right? The, the skills mitigate like all the problem solving you're doing and you're just basically executing it. So that's mm-hmm. partly why I dabble in so many different mediums is because as a sculptor, it is my job to know how to do anything, whatever it takes to make my idea come to fruition. I agree yeah, with that's a wonderful thought. Yeah. You are yeah. extremely cross-disciplinary. And I have to be. I, I see yeah. your work... Sculpture, glass, steel, jewelry, uh, your blades, like, 
everything tells the story of Andrea, but just in different mediums. And I think that that's such a, you know, you, you, I don't, I wouldn't say you struggle with it, but you contemplate it. And I've always thought like, I think that's a really good way to keep your mind moving to the thing that really matters and, and ha- having different avenues to express yourself, you know, mm-hmm. and having it be, there being a continuity of you throughout a lot of different mediums, which I think is, is really powerful. That's a much more eloquent way of what I was trying to ramble into before was to say, yeah, the idea for me is paramount. So mm-hmm. in order to get to the idea, I have to excel at the discipline. I have to learn and become an expert or at least good enough to get the idea to where I feel like it's, being done justice by, by by the process and then yeah so it's like I have to have all these different that pull from everything Every, all the disciplines I've ever learned is uh, you bring it into a new piece like I can bring some woodworking to something something I learned in rug tufting or something I learned in, in sculpture and just finally get to that final idea and, and have it done for a job yeah. yeah I think one of the most valuable things that human beings do and some of the biggest leaps forward in whatever you look at is being able to synthesize information. And you can kind of do that by a collaboration, but usually it's done by, you know, especially with what we're doing because we're on our own, is being able to have these different outlets of learning and then being able to combine those and synthesize them into the work that you're doing. Yeah. As you described, woodworking and mechanical, um, you know, like a mechanism. Because I've seen you do some some mechanical things with your woodworking. Yeah, yeah. it's um, I've always seen design in the process as kind of like it's the negotiation. Creativity for me is um, the recognition of, of of your idealized world, that with that object in it that you want to have, or with that idea being fully formed. Uh, and then you need to design, and design is the negotiation between your idealized world and the real world. That is an and awesome like. Idea. That's the process. That's how you have to do it. You have to arm yourself with the tools, and you have to have a roadmap, which is, I guess, more of the design, the process, is the tools, and then you, you set off, and you have to get to where you're going. So. There's one thought that, that is, what you were just referring to is the innovation. Yeah. Creativity is the criming up of the idea, and the innovation is the executing mm-hmm. what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Back to Andrea. One of the things, I mean, or unless you can keep going, you guys, like, trust me, you guys go... Whatever you got, you got, you're having a good thing without me. I don't leave him. I was step, stepping the fuck away. So, but what was interesting to me is especially Leah, what you're talking to um, Andrea about is cross discipline, yeah. being cross discipline. I almost feel like it's unfair that we have to have these crossing. You know, this is she's a glass blower and then she's a metal artist, or then she's a jeweler and she's a knife maker. I almost feel like it's unfair for you to have to be. I want there to be one word for it all. And I'll tell you why. That's the first thing I mentioned. I'm like, I don't know how to describe yeah, that's, it. This is the hardest part. Because it's called being an artist, though. Well, who, who whatever you're doing now. Depending, depending on what you consider discipline, what, who isn't cross-disciplinary? A metal worker who can make a knife or a sculpture is cross-disciplinary, even though they're a metal worker. You narrow it down. You're still hopping, hopping between processes and genres and ideas, no matter what you're doing. It's just the scale at which you're doing it is different for everybody. You can have somebody who does very traditional woodwork and they're still incorporating design ideas from multiple and multiple processes and techniques to get where they, where they want to be. It's just, you know, it's, it's not exactly genre hopping, but it is cross-disciplinary to an extent. I know, but I feel like it's unfair. I agree. Because, Look, man, because, I'm, just, yeah. I'm just trying to pay the bills. No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying you're being unfair. Yeah, I'm saying yeah. that it's unfair that it, there has to be these 
pecking orders in terms of you know defining you as an artist and how much time and energy you've spent in all these different things as opposed to the person that you are creating all this work in general. Now, I'll tell you why. When I when I went to college, I was doing tons of metal work, and I started to identify myself as a metal artist or a steel sculptor. Mm-hmm. And then I just started to say, why does it have to? I thought I like a little wood here and there, and I like a little paint here. Does that mean? What? What am I? What do I do? And I just started saying I'm a sculptor, and I just was like, because I like, I don't have to want to pigeonhole myself in regards to what I what what I do, and I almost felt like it was unfair that I had to basically say I'm this type of artist or I'm that type of artist. And in terms of knife making, like your experience as a jeweler, as a sculptor, as a glass blower, gives you inference into what you're doing as a knife maker. Mm-hmm. Yes. Has to. Yes. Jeff, yes. Jeff, I like what you're saying because when you asked us to introduce ourselves, you know, I said a few things about myself, but I was like, this is not really adequate. I'm not a knife maker. I'm not a blacksmith. I'm not singularly any of these things, and I don't think any of us here are singularly identifiable in a particular way, but, you, you know, you, it is a little unfair. You have to say, well, I'm this. Right. So that to try to convey... A definition to someone else, but it, internally, I don't think of myself as a knife maker, or a blacksmith, or really a sculptor. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if, if you're an artist who can describe themselves in an, in an elevator pitch, then I, I feel like you're doing something wrong. It's you know, it's, it's like, like it's Man, okay. Here's a few words. They, they were criticizing me for is to work on that like one sentence thing, and I was I'm too hungry yeah, for well, that. I, I, you don't you say it, but you don't believe it. By, the, that's t- by the time I, I'm done with the sentence, I'm already something else. Like, yeah. it's like exactly. <laughs> the um, like I said, uh, um, and a lot of it has just to do with my weird, super weird, not straight journey. Uh, and when I was when I just got out of college, I wanted my objective was to be like a sponge to learn all these things to get paid to learn, um, so that I could. And I was like really dedicated to my artistic practice. But the reality is also like I need those bread and butter items to sell, and that's kind of why I like went to do a scientific glass apprenticeship. That's why I hustled the knives when I was back in Austin. That's why I, t- I taught, and that was flexible enough to like I started doing props for movies or whatever, whatever would come at my way. I would, I would take it, and then um, it's that years later that experience would help me execute uh, the conceptual sculpture which I know I'm not like that well known for um, but that's that's like my prime objective is to get back to like those ideas and um, like executing large really labor intensive sculpture that like just makes people ponder about shit Mm-hmm. Um, Leia, were you going to say something? Yeah, um, I was going to say that uh, I think the way that we look at ourselves and define ourselves, even how we introduce ourselves, actually says a lot about who we are as artists, because I went in and was like this is my precise thing that I yeah. do <laughs> specifically this is my lane and I, I'm unwavering in that sense and I think that that is very much so my personality, like control tightness specific uh, point that I'm trying to make and uh, and so like listening to you guys define yourselves and talk about how you see yourselves creatively, it makes a lot of sense to me because I'm familiar with all of your work and I just think that there's a correlation there, you know Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I go with artist because it's the umbrella term that people don't know how to argue with 
you know, because they're like an artist can be a guy screaming at a building in the middle of a city, and like you can't argue with it, you know, as long as he's calling himself that. So it, it lets me get away with a lot more. It's and for not art, or if it's for science. You yeah, can get away with yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like because I've done, I've been a maker, and I've been a woodworker, and I've been a designer, like, and it's. I'm all those things now, so as I mm. keep progressing, the only thing that applies to everything I do is being an artist, because I'm always trying to express my own voice in no matter what I'm doing. Even right up to now, I've been doing, lately I've been having invention ideas and doing product development um, for niche tools, and I'm trying to make every step of the process an artistic step of the process, so I can have my voice be part of product development, as mm. opposed to just a sterile manufacturing process that I would absolutely kill me if I had to do it constantly. So it's at least I can I can I can talk through the product a little bit and, and, and present some sort of idea. I have a toy idea I want to pitch you later. Okay. Go <laughs> ahead, pitch him right now. It, yeah, it. yeah, yeah. will be out there. He's like, yeah, someone's oh, gonna yeah. take it. Yeah. Yeah. Fear is the mind killer. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Just tell everyone yeah. it's already patented. Yeah, you know, it's already patented. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so my idea is a cup holder uh, helicopter joystick that you can you can like fire you can fire like you know that Bluetooth into your stereo so you can like. When you're a frustrated driver, you can like do a you strafe them or like launch a couple of missiles. Oh, so like oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, you're kind of so, so, no, so like no. It's well, so, I mean, it's, no, it's simulated. It's, a, it's oh, like a TV break. He's talking about like a 1980s kind of um, computer you know, controller. Oh. I want to flip like a switch and like, launch yeah. some oh sidewinders. It has haptic feedback. It has sound. I can I can yeah. picture it right now. It pops right in your cup holder because that's where your arm is. Yeah. And when you're when you're mad, it's like when you're a little kid, yeah. and like. You ever hold on to the handle in the backseat of the car when your parents are driving and, and you fantasize. pretend a little bit of a joystick and you're, you're the one doing it, you know? So, like, that's like that. You're there right and you're like, this guy won't fucking move out of my way. He's going 10 miles on me. Sort of passive aggressive. He likes it, Josh. Yeah. He, likes he likes it. it. I would, I would, <laughs> yeah, I'd listen, I'm already playing with it in my head. So I know like, people will be into it. Yeah. it it's like, uh, yeah. it's just exactly as you described. Like, Hell, you compare it with a Bluetooth little projector for a HUD for a HUD display in your windshield that actually plays, right plays like a video game. Yeah, that'll probably get no. The disclaimer is, <laughs> you don't can't do this when you're driving. Yeah, just no. like Waze says, yeah. hey, don't you know? Even though you're pushing all the buttons yeah. and trying to change the address while you're <laughs> on the highway. Road rage for sure. Like the, you remember the TV brick? What's a TV brick? It was a it was a foam brick. It was back in the seventies or eighties. It was a phone brick, and when you were pissed off about the news, you could just freaking hurdle it at the, at the screen. I need that in my life. Then again, the TV took a lot of abuse at the same time because you had to beat it into like horizontal hold and you yeah. know vertical hold. So change the channel with pliers like, anyway. Yeah. Everything, every all the analog stuff is was. Uh, I get physical with my computer with my laptop now because I'm habituated to like yeah, up technology like, until it works. There's no moving parts in that. Oh smack God, it, it doesn't do anything. That's why I have stayed away from computers because you can't hammer it. You want to punch it, don't you? Like you can't everything. I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm not aggressive at all. But these are just ideas. <laughs> oh, I, I am. Sidewinders to the, you know, that's what it is. Yeah, car in the yeah. left lane. I got you. <laughs> Actually, this brings me to something, especially what um, Andrea was saying about um, making money. I feel that, and I was talking to uh, Andrew Alexander last episode, and he said to me, "If you could do, if you could do one thing or the other, making sculpture, making knives, which would you do?" And I said to him. Well, is money involved or not? Are we talking? Is is, is money an object, an obstacle? Like, is money an obstacle for what you want to, how you want to execute your creativity? And he said, "Well, money's always a, an obstacle." So I was like, "All right, I'm, we answer the questions." Okay, I'm opposed to you. You guys are all very talented, very creative. You've had your own voices. Money is no longer an obstacle in this scenario. How are you going to? 
establish your creativity. What are you going? What are you going to focus on in your life? What are you going to make? Okay. Is money not an object because I have all the money? Yes. Or because you have enough money, any money, or, you don't, or you I don't a, need any money. You have now okay. enough money that you do not have to worry about your bills. You don't have to worry about anything. You can just create and do exactly what you want to do. And I'm not. Don't say like I want to like throw. Yeah, you can say whatever the fuck you want. Be honest with you. But if, you I'm, know, not, I'm not gonna. I'm not going into any high conceptual shit. That's not. No, right. no. But yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> like if, what not, would you? When I'm saying I'm, so, I'm yeah. saying if you could do what you wanted to do right now, like it's in your shop today, yeah. And all your bills were taken care of. I'm not saying like I had zillions of dollars. Yeah. But like your bills are taken care of. You can go into the shop today and work on something or make something. What would you? What would you work on? I hate to say I'm kind of there already. Like. Thank I, you. Like, I make enough stuff, and I sell enough stuff, and I do enough shit for money where I'm actually, like, comfortable enough where... What I've done in, 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 my, in my career for as an artist is I've tried not to create things that need to be sold for money, that need to conform to an audience that will buy them. I've tried to bring people towards what I'm doing and convince them that it's worth the money and sell it to them. And I take a large hit on pricing because of that. Um, I sell the rugs for between, like, 250 and $500 or $700, depending on how big and how complicated it is and I've been told multiple times by multiple people uh, that they should be $1,500, $2,500 and I get that no one's going to pay that but in process I can do that and be comfortable comfortable for me is a different thing than for a lot of people I don't I don't I barely ever buy new clothes I don't like I eat peanut butter and jelly twice a day like I don't really spend a lot of money so when I do spend money it's in the shop on the projects so I'm kind of there so I'm doing what I want to do. Wow. Congratulations! Yeah, like, awesome. it's, it's creating a customer. Insanely lucky. Extraordinary. It's insanely lucky. Um, and that's an ability to translate. That's that's why that's why I show so much of my process, and that's why I explain so much of the ideas that I'm that I'm going through is because I need to spark in people how how important it is and how much thought goes into it and the, why the work is valuable, so that they will come to me, they will come over to my side and appreciate it the way I appreciate it when I'm making it, and then want some. Wants, want I a piece the of same. it. Yeah, yeah, I want to show the process, show them like like this is why the price tag. And it's very difficult. We're, the only way I could possibly do this is because of social media and the internet the way it is now. I'm not a gallery artist. I will never be a gallery artist. They do not like me. They do not like the way I do things. It's a um, giant it is, and it really is. Some, some of it's okay, but for the most part, yeah, it's its own world because it's a, it's a capitalistic financial world, and that's the whole problem. That's the whole conceit of this question is like it's, if you didn't have to participate in that world. How would you? How would you be? How would you go about being an artist? Look, I've said it once. I've said it many times. Galleries are pimps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they so are. Yeah, but but they're pimps. But I have no, you. I have no love for the the middleman between creativity and the buyer. I have no. I have no love. I'm not zero love. But what I'm saying is, I'm freeing you now of all. I'm freeing you now of your of your financial shackles. You can go make something. What do you want? What are you gonna make? Um, I'm gonna make an alien. Okay. Um, so you're gonna keep going doing what you're doing. I'm gonna keep going doing what I'm doing, but I, I would say, ironically, like I'm moving more towards a place where I'm trying to make affordable work, and that's not because I'm trying to increase my sales. It's because I want more people to be able to afford my work. Right. That matters to me. Approachability. So I'm actually making more money, you know, appeasing people a little bit more and uh, I get a lot out of that it's not really about the money so much as it is that people can have a small piece of my work and uh, and that like I get to hone my craft doing five of the same thing and getting five pieces out of the same design work um, somehow I'm becoming more economical 
as I go on, but uh, I mean, I'm always going to do those pieces that are ridiculous and will sit in my house for the rest of our lives. That's, <laughs> that's interesting that you say that, because you have the ability to pick and choose whether or not you're going to make stuff that I'm going to make it because I know that no one's going to want it and I'm going to keep it in my house, but this is what I want, and the fact that you, you don't have the, the ability to be like, I need to like cough it up today, you know? I mean, I would, to- like, if somebody wanted to pay for one of those, everything in my house is for sale. There's, nothing is like, well, I mean, you know, there's no pieces, but. I don't understand what you're saying, but you're saying that you know that, like, there's some things that, that are from your heart that might not be something that a collector would want. Or something I want like every that. single yeah. piece. Yeah. That no, but she said. Yeah. What you said is right. so good. Right. I, I, what, what I mean is, like, you know, the, the person that for for me, like, what I want to do, like, I have this vision of this, like, this prehistoric Nautilus piece that I haven't even started building the model of. It's going. I already know it's going to be ridiculously expensive because I want to make it crazy detailed and wild and so, you know something I've never done before. Really complicated, a larger piece. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be really expensive, and I know I'm going to sit on it for a while. But I need to do it because that's what I feel like building, you know? Even though I'm going to keep it around for a while, probably. Andrea. Uh, now, listen. Yeah. You didn't have, you do, you, you've gone through all the learning and the schools and everything. You don't have to pay your bills. Yeah. What are you going to do? 100% installation and sculpture. Talk to me. Tell me about it. I mean, I'm, I'm gonna try to tap back into that like creative juice and adrenaline that I had in undergrad. That like I had the obviously I had, like you know grants and stuff to put me through school, but it it fueled this like she said, you're gonna like you're gonna do it because you have this need right. to to kind of externalize all this conceptual stuff, and I want to create like. Um, you know, I used to do a lot more installations, but if you think those your monsters are hard to sell, try selling a whole installation where you're changing yeah. a, a space. Right? Yeah. Um, so, but in in that same sense, like if you've ever been to a James Terrell exhibition and you're like, you know, walking into a space that's like designed for you to to have a certain um, affect, right? Um, it's it's designed to move you in a specific way. Right, and uh, and I mentioned this during my demos, like especially last night, where I just want to make the viewer appreciate the stuff we take for granted all the time, like the, the core quantum mechanics that that you know we're still trying to figure out our relationship with the universe, and like that's all I'm trying to do is like trying to explore that. So, and my way of doing that is manipulating materials through thermodynamics, right, which includes like the heat through glass, metal, whatever it's going to be, um, to, like, explore this idea of energy isn't created or destroyed. Do you, are you frustrated that you aren't able to do the work that you want to do? Yeah, totally. How <laughs> Really? All of this, yeah, of course. But at the same time, I have to, I have to, like, carve, t- I mean, carve time for it. Right? Um, I have a lot of friends that are, are, are grinding, like, you know, especially uh, up in Chicago, that they're just going to do whatever it takes to make their work. Right. And they're going to they're gonna sacrifice a lot of things, and I have sacrificed a lot of things, including 
uh, relationships and certain like being at certain events like people's weddings because you know like I, I'm just you have to have that dedication um, to do something but you know it's uh, Neil Kamimura you told him this is a long game yeah you know so you just have to like put in the work anyone that wants to try glass blowing or knife making go for it do it but like it takes grit to get through this I feel like that's something that's very unspoken that that concept of the long game because even you know the 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 desire to be more proficient in the things that you're doing and to be able to express yourself in a way that is is more than you want it to be can be frustrating the fact that you're not at the level that you're hoping to be and I don't think that a lot of people realize it takes a long time to do this stuff. Yeah, and everybody's different. But everybody's different. Like every human being has different reactions to everything. You, there's some people who are just not I mean my wife says all the time, I'm not creative. And she she says I'm not creative. And I'm like, yeah, of course you're creative. She there's there's certain people who have these feelings that they're unable to get to a point that they want to be, to see other things, they want to be able to express themselves, and they don't understand how hard it is and how long it takes to get there. And I think it comes with age. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Patience. I mean, um, yeah, actually, there's a pretty famous class where was the one that told me that. Like, uh, in music, in the music industry, it's like a young, you get fame in, you know, when you're early 20s or something. But as an artist, like, some people don't get famous till after they're dead. <laughs> and you know, that's mostly the case. And, most. and with architecture, yeah, when you're in architecture yeah. school, yeah. most architects are referred to as late bloomers, yeah. where they don't go to architecture school until later in life. Uh-huh. Like, there's not a lot And of, even that takes, like, ten years. Yeah. So even, mm-hmm. like, start building a name for yourself. And architecture is another... Um, it's a fascinating thing, because you're... you're uh, Sculpting space. Yeah, that's and right. How, Time is, yeah. is part of. It. Yeah. And also, people's lives are in your hands. Right. You know? yeah. um, but that—that that is something. That's why I was so attracted to it. But I didn't really do well with not sleeping for days. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, let's do this other thing. Um, but yeah. Josh Prince, I'm going to tell you. I'm giving you this money to pay your bills. Are you still making knives, or are you making sculpture, or what are you doing? I'm still making knives. I think um, for me that my biggest frustration is not being able to manifest every single idea I have. And I draw and I draw. Like, I'm satisfied if I could draw something into existence, I'd be so happy, whether I made it or not. So my thoughts are toward, like, manifesting more of the ideas through technology. Um, I, I was really watching closely some of the some of the makers that are using CNC mills to hard mill you know hard mill their knives and it's like that's brilliant you know because you could design something and manifest it into reality without going through some of what we go through not that I I mean that's part of the process and that's important like a lot of the reason I you know go out to the forge and exhaust myself is is psychological and, and physical it's important but also, I'm so limited, I feel so limited in the things that I can bring into existence. So that would be, um, I think I would be interested in technology and, and bring that more into what I'm doing. That's not a reality. It's not something I actually have any intentions on doing. It's, it's not realistic. I'm not at a point where I'm, 
I want to try to finance my house to, to buy tech you know to buy technology I'm perfectly happy with what I'm doing but that would be something that I would would be able to find a venue for and then other ideas that I've had that I you know don't have the time or, or ability necessarily to pursue that I could um, almost have someone else assist me with it because I think it goes to the question you had earlier about is it, is it enough to have a thought? Is that, is that creativity enough to have the thought and not execute? And I think it, it is. Um, it is, you know, that's an important part of the creativity. Being able to manifest it may or may not happen for some people. I mean, it's important. It's a, it's a full circle to be able to have the idea and manifest it. And, and then you get that realization and the, the experience. But I think the idea itself and you were talking about being able to make how long you're going to be able to work in glass like glass making as soon as you get really um, proficient with it your body starts to break down and that's when a lot of um, glass makers have a team to do to manifest their idea and I, that appeals to me actually yeah. it's funny to, to backtrack to the CNC thing you were talking about early technology earlier today I was talking to somebody because I just purchased an expensive CNC for this uh, product development thing and I've had uh, I had kind of a CNC kind of slapdash one before and it was kind of useful but this this machine does it's having an assistant that has my brain and executes my directions perfectly mm-hmm. and for me that's like he's it, it's working and I'm doing something else now yeah and that just like when I finally made that connection about it that I, I'm not babysitting this thing it's just there doing what I wanted to do there's two of me now essentially that can that can now you know be manufacturing things and, and, and doing things it's like having it's like having a staff. And for me, like, I didn't want to make any, I wanted to clarify, I'm not, like, a wildly successful artist. I just, I make things out of very cheap materials, if not garbage, and sell them at a higher, I have a high margin, uh, mid-concept, uh, low overhead kind of design system to everything I do. Yarn is cheap, rugs are super-duper cheap. Like, uh, even for effort, I'm selling them at, like, what, 150 times cost, which is still half of what everybody else would charge. Um, like when I do woodworking, I use a lot of reclaimed wood. I use a lot of um, I'm, I love I love using industrial OSB cutoffs, waste, and stuff like that, just because it's free. It's my wheelhouse, but also because there's no overhead, and I can experiment with and do wild shit. And like maybe this one doesn't work out, but the next one does. They both cost me combined what somebody would spend on half of a really nice table or something like that. You know? I suspect that that's part of your creative process is yeah. the material hmm. sourcing. Oh yeah, like that's. I think as artists, we select our limitations and we gravitate towards them. Yeah, so, absolutely. like, we're all nodding. Buddy. You know, <laughs> painting. Uh, no, I wasn't. No, I, I couldn't find my limitations. I couldn't find my creative voice. Steel and the geometry that like it comes in, and the limitations yeah. of it were exactly where I found my creative voice. And I think it's the same. Uh, yeah, obviously the same for all of us. But hearing you talk about your uh, your materials, I I think that like. That, that plays a big role in your yeah. concepts and your ideas, and that's it's why I'm able to actually do the thing that pe- that artists want to do. That's my that's my golden ticket so much as it were, like to be able to do what artists want to do, which is just make stuff and sell it and get your ideas out there in any way you can. It's just it's for me it's living cheaply. Um, it wouldn't be if I was a different if I was making knives or if I wanted to like make really nice really nice woodworking stuff and I had to get like tropical hardwoods. I'd be a mess. Yeah. I'd be a disaster. I'd have five jobs. You know, you wouldn't <laughs> so, love it either, though. No, I'd, I'd, I'd hate it. Yeah. It'd be all stress. But you also like bring up like a really important thing of like I, I believe uh, why we well 
why I was attracted to fine art in the first place was that you could take garbage and then out of thin fucking air create a huge value on it just by um, altering it, putting in that white cube and projecting a different conceptual and convincing people like this is a concept. Yeah. And it is worth this much money, and that that kind of weird like sorcery that that does is yeah. uh, why I was like, how you can like just put a toilet upside down and yeah. then call it fine art is uh, yeah. like Duchamp, if you guys aren't familiar. Um, that that right there, that uh, shift in cognition, re re recontextualizing, yeah, yeah, is is what drove me to sculpture in the first place. Yeah, it's it's um, what I, one thing I love about it is that a lot of art suffers from its audience thinking that it's not actually difficult to execute once they've seen the final product executed, and especially stuff like the Duchamp piece is, is exactly that. And for me, I like to take stuff that you literally have in your house that's garbage or in your backyard or at the junkyard or whatever. You have access to it. You can get it. The tools I use for the most part are not very complicated tools, but when you see what I do with it, I'm hoping that you see a, a transformation that you cannot that the audience member cannot fathom how to actually do. And that that separates me from someone who they think of as a high-end, like, uh, wood polisher. You know, like, you, you make a really beautiful table out of a really beautiful material, and there's always going to be the people that are like, oh, well, yeah, if I had access to, like, ebony or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, these mahoganies or something like that, then I could do that. Or if, you know, Let's that, see it. Yeah, Let's well, yeah, but go, it's, go I, I try to eliminate that right off. Right. I'm like, I'm, I'm taking the stuff that you have and I'm doing things that you can't imagine, and that's so that's that's where I'm coming at people from. <laughs> I get that. That's well well stated. Yeah. I think uh, that speaks a lot to like how strong your concepts are. Like hearing you talk, especially about the rugs, and um, in particular the ones that are the ice cream, where like the eyeballs are floating around. And I've heard you talk about it, and that idea of that it being this very visual manifestation of innocence lost, you know what I mean? And uh, and that moment where you kind of, you go from being a kid to an adult and realizing things aren't always what they seem, yeah. and I feel like I explore those themes all the time I feel like we're talking about the same thing yeah. but we're doing Completely it in dramatically yeah. different yeah. ways yeah. you know, and that fascinates me about the materials you use and the way you convey your ideas, and that's why your work speaks to me, because mm -hmm. I feel like we, we talk about a lot of the same things, and that your concepts are so profound, mm -hmm. and you use such powerful materials that you're contrasting with those ideas that really kind of nails that and, and brings it home in like this really unique and creative way. Yeah, I, I like to try to recontextualize like um, nostalgia and joy Mm -hmm. um, with suffering and juxt and uh, I love ju I love juxtaposition. <laughs> That's probably my favorite thing in, yeah. in, in executing concepts is like just seeing how well I can merge two insanely different con concepts and not have anybody even realize that I did it. It's totally true. I, it's brilliant because I, I it resonates with me and I don't even really I can't even like what you described is accurate. But yeah, the, the rugs the rugs yeah. when I when I visualized them for the first time it was a mixed it was that that pang that you have in your heart. It's the, the and you don't know if it's nostalgia or joy or sadness or recognition of like you know whatever it is it's, it's, it, it has all of it you would kind of but like it's a very specific feeling it, it's an indescribable <laughs> note that it hits with you but everyone knows that note because everyone feels it at some point 
yeah, it's, it's what it means to be a per- human. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. That's great. That that that, that appeals to me. That that concept of everything at once yeah. becoming this thing that you can't even describe, but you know it in your soul as a person, who you are and what it is. It's 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 defining for almost everybody. And with the you know America and capitalism and ice cream and all this kind of stuff for us my audience that's and for me especially I can reach them and talk to them through that conversation that they already know the language of because they've experienced that mm-hmm. and then bring that's, it all together that's what you learn in art school is how to communicate with yeah with I was I, I was supposed to learn in art school yeah. my art school experience is different than everybody else's mine was pretty weird <laughs> well I, I didn't realize how much more of an artist I was than a designer until after I had to drop out of art school because I thought I was too much of a designer to be there and they thought I was too much of an uh, artist to be a designer. Well, I was trying to explain to someone who didn't really understand art. I'm like, no, you, you do. You understand that sharp curves are, like, threatening yeah. and that, like, bulbous, soft things are more voluptuous and inviting and sensual. Like, that, this is stuff that we, we interact with on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, lots of people like to talk about how they're not creative, and I don't think it's a, a lack of the ability to imagine, like I said before, creativity for me is imagining, is, is, is being able to recognize an idealized version of the world that has your 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 concept alive in it. Mm-hmm. And I think what people don't realize is that they have that creativity. They know what they want. Mm-hmm. They just don't know how to make the connections to walk down the path to get to it. Mm-hmm. They don't know the first step. They don't know the next step. They don't know anything past that. And maybe they can learn it. Maybe they can. Maybe they don't want to bother. But that's, I think, the roadblock for most people who say they're not creative in Whatever it is, it doesn't have to be art. It could be, you know, um, cooking. It could be business. It could be whatever. But like computer that's, engineering. Yeah, that's for me the creative process is, is being able to recognize it and then being able to execute and, and knowing how to do it, or want, knowing how to learn how to do it. So. Yeah. I mean, there's there's creativity and just understanding it is what it is that you're conveying. Like on the on the part of the person who might say they're not creative, if you look at it and you appreciate it and understand it. There's certainly creativity involved yeah. in that. Like it's stimulating an imaginative, you know, a state of having emotions is creativity. They come from nowhere. They come from a soup of chemicals in the in the back of your head. Like it's not like uh, you know, it's just if you solve problems, any problem. Yeah, it's all it's all the stuff together. It's it's uh, yeah. Do you think that the satisfaction comes from the creativity and the idea, or the manifestation? Manifestation. Was fast. Yeah. Fast answer. Yeah, I think I feel I feel that the urgency and, and, and the desire come from the from the concept and then the satisfaction definitely comes from the varied level of success or whatever it is. I mean you can fail on a project mm-hmm. and it's totally unsatisfying and then five years later you realize that your success and whatever you're working on now is is hinged upon that failure. Yes. And then that failure becomes satisfying. It becomes part of your art and your artistic language. So it's like it can come at it can come at you at any point in the process. Yeah. 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 So one of the things I No, we got you. I got you. You, you go ahead. Go what, ahead. Uh, so one of the things that I was thinking about when I was thinking about the, putting this panel together was since we all met in the maker context um, and have varying degrees of education or experience. Um, the balance in your creative process of the finding your own voice and I think a lot of makers don't find their own voice for a long time because they're not able to separate themselves from the technique and find how they want to use that in the totality of their existence where okay we're going to make a table but that table is going to be representative of this style that they've seen someone else make but how do they transition from that point to 
finding their own voice and expressing it both in the material and the concept they got. And so I was curious about when you guys found your voice, because you started with the creativity, but then you also, some of that is education, some of it's intuition, and then how do you filter the two of those to find ultimately what you're doing now? I mean, personally, um, it wasn't until my middle school teacher, like, literally brought out every project I made and, like, found that common thread, like, you're into layers, you're into textures, and you're into metaphysics. Like, all your, conceptually, all your pieces are um, into, like, like, what is reality and your relationship with, like, you know, it's a lot more philosophical. Um, so I started leaning on that heavily. Um, and starting to like mix not not only the processes that I enjoy, but also like tying that to the ideas I was um, interested in, like vapor deposition on the James Webb Telescope, and like my relationship with like like how um, like where I am in time and in the universe. I know this is like super super broad and pretty, pretty vague, but like you start seeing a common thread and then you just like lean into and like you were telling him like you always see a progression of like what what's next right you're that project or whatever sculpture you're working on at that time is just a study for the next thing it's it's not the final product it's always going to be like this is leading me to execute this other thing that's going to lead me to the next thing Mm -hmm. yeah voice voice and work is a big thing because whether you're an artist or you're a maker or, or anybody who's creating something, you can insert your voice into it, but it's also difficult for people because it's just, it's a little bit of a vulnerability. You have to be vulnerable. You have to take, you have to initiate a conversation through what you're making with people who are basically there to judge you. Like if they're buying something from you, if they're looking at it in the gallery, whatever it is, they're there. They're there to make a judgment on your work, and you have to open this conversation yourself and say, "Hey." This is what makes my brain tingle. Like this is, this is. Uh, you have to let your idios. You have to let your strengths and weaknesses through your process become idiosyncrasies in your work that 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 tell a story about who you are and why you're doing what you're doing, no matter what it is you're making. And if you don't have that, which is it's easy not to have that uh, out in the forefront and embrace it because it's embarrassing or you don't recognize it in yourself because you're not introspective or anything like that. But yet you can search it and you can find it. And you can push it to the forefront and it's. It's, it's vulnerability because you, ha- you have to be out there and like be like okay this is like you know here's the doorway to, to my fucking brain or my soul or whatever and now like let me know if you want it or not you know mm-hmm. but yeah. that but that's not that's not that's the that's the mindset of the artist not the mindset of the maker well that's what I'm saying I think in order to find your voice as a maker you have to embrace that part of it because even in technique like I said the, the, your strengths and weaknesses will become uh, idiom for you in your in your design process, kind of whether you want them to. I mean, you can hammer it out. You can you can erase that part of yourself if you want, but I think you lose your voice when you do that, unless your voice is perfection or whatever. But you know, like that's um, it, it's some stuff. Some people make stuff that's a little bit soulless, and I think that that has less of a voice than somebody who's putting their heart into it and speaking through it. Mm. Thinking about the question I asked a while ago. If you could make whatever you wanted without having to worry about money, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think I ever made anything I ever truly wanted, and it was all based on commercial decisions. It's all compromise. My, 
I compromise. I think I am, I believe that there's not one sculpture that I made that wasn't a decision based on the, uh, being a consumer buying it. Mm-hmm. The, the, the decisions that I've made, even from college, when I was making these giant fishing lures, the reason why I kept going is because I could move them like crazy. Yeah, but when you but, and even the knives, like you give me a million bucks, or you say to me now you don't have to pay for bills, I don't think I'm doing any of it. I don't think I'm making knives. I don't think I'm making some of these lure sculptures. I don't think I'm going back. I think I'm starting something completely different. How on vacation? Does that does <laughs> pardon me? That I would go on vacation. No, I'm just saying that, like, if I had the ability to be creative and do something other than it, would I be making not? Well, basically, the question was that. Well, you would do right. something that amplifies your voice more. Uh, I, I wouldn't. I don't think I would do either. Well, any of the stuff that I've been doing. You would do something that amplifies your voice more than a knives do. But the, your knives you have, have your voice in them. Yeah. They have your. They have your artistic not, expression. I'm not necessarily. I'm just saying that, like, it's not money's no object. Yeah. I want to start painting. Okay. You're not exactly what, what we talked about before. You're not defined by what you're doing now. You have to issue. You give if somebody asks you, you'll give it. You'll define yourself because it's expedient, but it's not. You're. It's not true about you or however, any of us. However, I've resigned myself and enjoy the fact that I've made the decision that I am starting. I am starting a business. Or when I was making art, I was making more commercial art. There were galleries that wouldn't touch me because they thought that my work was more commercial, and I knew that. I knew it because I was moving them. You know, I make, I make 20 lures, I'm selling all 20. You know, no problem. I know it. But being attached to the work or not doesn't make you more or less of an artist. I'm not attached to the things I make after they're done. I let them go, and I frankly don't that, go back and visit them. They're gone. I've done the thing that I wanted to do, which is... You've and taken, my motivation you've taken the piece of it that away that you needed to take with yeah, you, and you can let it go. It's gone. Yeah. I'm not attached. I mean, there's some attachment to things I made when I was a when kid. you were younger. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. the things I make now are just things that I, I have an idea. I want to I want to manifest the idea like I described, and then once it's done, I, I move on. So I don't know if that if you feel the well, same way. Your excitement about the work you were doing certainly had to be there, or you wouldn't be able to to do it. Well, two things. One is I learned. Uh, midway in my 30s that when you covet your own work it's stifling as an artist to you because what it says is like if you have a favorite piece you have a, when somebody says what's your favorite piece and you start yeah there's this one thing that I really really like and I don't think I can get rid of I believe that that's a sign of artistic weakness in the sense that you, what you're mentally saying is I don't think I can get better than that favorite piece and what happens is, is I believe that that's a ne- I think that that's as a creative person a neg- I think it's negative I feel like just like you say I get rid of it it's gone it's around in my life I now I try to do everything I can to not covet my work because I feel like I don't want to be in the position where I'm saying to myself I'll never get better than that piece I ain't going to get better than that so I better not get I rid get of worse it. all the time <laughs> no, no, but you know what I'm saying. I'll do something that was brilliant, and then I'll do something. I was like, "How did I do that?" I know. That I look, yeah, I look at this. Thing oh yeah, the, the dog shit. The do- dog shit follow up. It's it's like almost. It's <laughs> almost like uh, yeah, you know. Brutal. It's it's almost. Uh, I can't get the word in my head, but yeah. So one of the things I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the in the work that you guys are doing is since it is more of an kind of a pure artistic expression, it's fundamentally ego-driven with what you want to express the voice that you're finding within yourself that you find important to give to the world. Whereas the work that I'm doing, especially in the maker community and the photography that I'm doing, is um, fundamentally I'm consciously 
destroying my ego in doing it, and mm-hmm. I don't believe that you should see me in any of those imagery. But it is also fundamentally a collaboration with the subject and letting their energy influence the moments that I pick the image. Because you, when you see my sets, you don't see the lights run. You don't know where I don't know where the lights come. I mean, I know where the lights coming from just because I know conceptually where I placed it. But I'm not looking at it when I shoot. Mm. It's not. It has absolutely no bearing of what I'm shooting. I'm strictly responding to the emotion of the subject, and that's what's triggering it. I would say it's extraordinary in my experience with your work that your mastery of that conversation with the subject and, and your ability to elicit that from the subject is your voice in your work. It, it is that part of you showing through. Mm-hmm. And photography your, your skill in that. Photography is interesting because when you talk to photographers, they are a bunch of egoless assholes. Well, I wasn't gonna say assholes. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say assholes. Yeah. I wasn't gonna say assholes, but they are curating what you see. And it's the, it's your as a, the photographer. You're showing them everything about this image. It, it. I don't believe that it's like you're just taking a picture and that's it. I believe that a photographer, not just someone with their phone and you know getting a good shot. I feel like someone who's composing something, who's doing something specific, has has a very. Photographers have great voices. A lot of them. A lot of them. You know when you look at a picture from a photographer who's a professional photographer. You see the imprint of the person that they are, the photographer they are, the artist that they are in that work. Like I can see pictures from like uh, my friend Nico. I, I, he shows me pictures from the, the movie sets. They all look the fucking same. Like every single movie set, I'm just like, I, I could pick your not, not your pictures out in a lineup. It's just because you, he has created a voice in the images that he does that are like it's not random. This is the same thing with you. I remember when we were in the car, we were getting the heater a couple hours ago, we were getting the heater for this thing, and you were talking about how you first met Jimmy and you got involved with the Maker Camp. I remember those those photographs you took at uh, in in Cleveland. And I know that they're the exact I know that it was you. Actually when I think about so what you've done at Maker Camp, when I think of you've done for the other makers at events, I recognize those pictures. Not only just because they're black and white, there's you have you have a, a very important imprint in, in the creativity and the decision making that you've done in your photo- photographs. Yeah, but the so the so the initial surprise of taking those pictures was completely random. I had simply set up something before, but having gone through a multitude of life changes at that point, I was opened up to say yes to everything. So, I saw somebody I want to take a picture of, I took a picture. Mm-hmm. And moving forward with that um, opportunity, it, it was all the decisions once I made that choice to not kind of have my ego at the foreground and try and control the imagery, um, because I try to, and I say this on set all the time, it's just we're having a conversation and I'm getting to meet people and that's really the best part of the job. And I just happen to be taking a few pictures. Um, and I want everyone to be able to let themselves be seen and known as a person in that moment. And so that's what I'm aiming for. Um, and sometimes I get it and sometimes I don't. But that's really the subject's judgment about how successful they think it is and whether it represents them. Because in large part, I don't know people before they got on my set um, but every decision I make is with the intent of that single goal moving forward and so everything that doesn't contribute to that I exclude it so I'm wondering how you guys exclude 
the options that you guys can make creatively or intuitively or material choices? Limitations that we talked about. And concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This mostly, like, again, like, goes back to, to concept, right? And there's a through line with a lot of my work um, that actually is informed from my previous work. So uh, even though it might be your first time seeing the piece, there, if you go back far enough, you'll see, like, this one. I make my own symbolism. Um, through like this one project that, that I did and like so this thing means like a specific thing so you develop your own vocabulary so that actually informs a lot of of my decision making where it doesn't make sense to throw in like cast concrete in here even though I initially you want to like throw in all the materials that you can and get it really excited about all the techniques but uh, ultimately, um, less is more. So you have to really like think about what you're trying to say with the piece. Like, why are you using glass? Why are you using the optics? Why are you using Damascus? Why are you using fusing? Um, why are you using traditional jewelry techniques in a larger sculpture? Um, I know the reasons behind it, but that's it's, it's definitely like informing every decision I make. Do you think that some of the answers revolve around the fact that you have? Um, some technical proficiency in those processes? Um, I actually just use the processes to convey the idea. So there might be something that I'm like, oh, I, you know, learned this new technique, but really it's, it's more about the concept. So if I'm choosing to do fusing onto something or kangaroo or um, some using a crazy lens to distort something or create a mirror using silver. Like, it's all very, very, very intentional. Andrew, if you, if you had an idea for something that you could not execute yet, um, would you try it? Would you, yeah. or would you, or would you, or would you leave it off until you were able to fully execute it well? No, I'd try it. Okay. I'm, mean, the, I'm the opposite. I, if I can't, if I don't have the process uh, expertise to do something the way I want it to be done, that I just push it off until I either get that or I come back, I come around about, to a different process. Yeah. I'm all about failing fast. Mm -hmm. I think it depends on what kind of, so this goes back to, I think you're more product oriented. Yeah, Keith. object oriented, yeah. <laughs> I'm pointing to people. Yeah, yeah. Um, Josh, you're definitely more process oriented. Like it's more about the process for you. I think yeah. you need to have the product at the end. Yeah, I need, I, I need the object to match my, yeah. my concept. And Mark, I think it's about the process for you, too, um, where you're collaborating with someone and you're relinquishing not just your ego, but your control over the situation because it's not entirely up to you. Like, I can control my situation, you know? Um, but uh, I think yeah, just going back to that whole idea of, like, voice and why we choose the thing we do and how we, you know, sort of navigate all of that, I think it's, I, I think that there's kind of, like, two ways I see it going as far as, like, your creative approach and I think some people really need the product and some people it's all about the process and you know yeah. the, the end result is is uh, consequential and not unimportant but you know not the reason not the driving factor so you think my driving factor you think my driving factor is process or product it's process I think that the I well I because I, I, I would tend to disagree really yeah because my product is it fundamentally something I'm selling at this 
particular event, or mm-hmm. but my the product is something that the person walks away with. So my process doesn't matter to the person as long as the outcome is successful for them as an individual. But I think what I would say, I guess what I would say is, I, I, and I don't know, maybe I'm projecting on you because I know for me, my practice is all about like, is all about how I'm spending my time. That's that's the only reason I'm doing this is because it's how I want to spend my time. I think <clears throat> for you, what you your experience is well. I, I don't know. I don't want to tell you what your experience. Is. <laughs> listen, listen. Here's I, my experience. I'm really my experience. Reading your Mark, mind. Mark, move your ass over here. <laughs> That's my experience. Get down. There you go. There you go. So, I mean, so what? So what was your question about the experience? Well, I, I mean, for for you, you're saying. I don't know. I think I'm not framing it in the right way, but I guess what I'm saying is that I think that for some people. The end result and the product is really uh, not not in any case unimportant. But I think for for you, it sounded like what you were saying was that for you, it's about the experience of interacting with that person and photographing them because that's what you do. And then the 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 end result, the photo, is what is a is a result of that experience. The and end result the is your ability to bring out that person's personality without you even knowing. Like in a, and you do that in a certain light. You did it with me. I was like blown away. Like in that like short amount of time I spent with you, you somehow captured a side of me that not a lot of people see. And that is your ability. It's like your even though your ego is out of it, that's your thumbprint mm-hmm. on everything that you, you produce, right? What you put And in this in the portrait series that I do, yes, that's and that, and that's part of the you know. Uh, destroying the, the ego for me is it doesn't because it doesn't create a filter that I'm viewing anybody with. They show up with the energy and I receive everything that they give me mm-hmm. and I feel like that creates a space where it allows them to project even more than they think they're projecting. Right. Whereas if, exactly. I, if my ego's in there then I'm putting some sort of block for what they're showing up with. Mm-hmm. So that is something that is probably a challenge for many artists but um, I do truly view this work as a collaboration because there's no way that you can get a picture without being there and I can't take a picture without someone to take a picture of. And so when, in this particular case, obviously Maker Camp and a lot of the Maker spaces, there's such a great communal energy anyway, it just amplifies you know, what I can do in those moments. Because these are because it's portraiture versus yeah. you know, subjects who are unaware. I mean, it, it, it totally changes the framework for... For what you're doing as a photographer right. in, in this circumstance, in, yeah, in this particular case, and and there's a kind of an interesting that's, thing that's happened through the whole process where, from the couple of first series of, sh- of images where people weren't expecting, and it was just kind of a random happenstance. I happened to be in the in the building, and I had stuff set up, and then some makers showed up. I took some pictures, and then they liked them, and then they continued, and then blah blah blah. Um, and then at the first maker camp, when people show up. And I start taking a picture, and you know, like Joshua had a the standard experience where he's walking by, and I was I it. grab him like I'm bringing him into a club, and I'm like, hey, come here, it was like, great. Let me take it. Let me take a picture, and uh, you have you know. to take me by surprise. I'll run away. <laughs> right. If I see you pointing right. a camera at me, it's, it's just like it's the family way. Like right. my father, with the camera would come out, he would just disappear. Right. But, but so when you don't have any expectations, you're willing to kind it of was tentatively come, and then yeah. I'm I just want to have a conversation, and then I start yeah. allowing 
everyone to just be visible in whatever way they want to present that. Mm-hmm. But now that people have seen them, they'll show up and there'll be an expectation. And that is there's an awareness of the process. Uh, well, there's an awareness of the result because mm-hmm. they haven't seen the process. I see. And so part of the challenge now is people show up and they say, oh, I've followed you for years and I really like it. Here I am. I want a picture and, like that. Yeah. Yes. So, uh-huh. um, but each person brings their own energy. And so that's the fun part. That's where, like, when you're blowing glass and you're moving it around and things like that, very subtly, things you're maybe not even thinking about, but your fingers are feeling and your, your body's feeling at the same time. And that's when I'm getting all the energy and I'm hitting the flow with that person. And it has to be very, very quick so that as a subject, you don't see it coming. <laughs> and then the result is hopefully productive for the viewer. I think your point about collaboration is applicable to all of our work, actually, especially like the knife making sculpture. Like, um, it's not complete without the viewer or the audience interacting. Right. Um, I think it's like a really important part of creativity, um, or maybe a byproduct of it. Hmm. Right. But I think, like, uh, in some cases, you know, when you're toiling away in your garage or your mm-hmm. studio and when you find that place within your work that you don't care about the result or the viewer and that flow is taking you for hours on, on end and then you get to the end of it and you're like, wow, I made that. And you're surprising yourself. Like, those are the magical moments that we all strive for. Yeah, I chase that. Yeah. But that, that high. Oh, that it's a high. State yeah. that things, that's all I want to do is get lost in it. Right. Or like time disappears. Right. But then um, the viewer only becomes important after that. Yeah, that's what I mean about, like, byproduct, I suppose, but, yeah. So then, ultimately, is it the manifestation or is it the journey? Well, Let me back up. So we we said that you're creative and you're manifesting this creativity. Is it the satisfaction coming at the end, or for you, is it the journey to get there? the flow state that you get these moments I know what you're talking about yeah. you're forging you're doing all this stuff and all of a sudden you're in it everything feels good the decisions you're making are good you're able to be spontaneous and be effective you're able to have these moments of like you don't know how you got to this point it's just like everything's working everything's clicking nothing's falling apart is that the satisfaction I think more that's that's my addiction more right. than a satisfaction. My satisfaction mm-hmm. is is um, more the end result when people start to interact with it. That's uh, interesting. But yeah, I, I I recognize that it's an escapism for me, right. and I'm I'm in my studio for a reason all there, the time. Have you had those moments where you're all of you when you're working in your shop, and then everything's just working? Click in. Everything's right. Everything's, and then one out of every twenty. And then I have these moments where there's a good day. I'll get in the car, and as I'm driving, I zone out. I'm driving like, like I'm like I have to like almost snap out of it. Or when I get home, my wife's just I'm like fucking out of my mind because I'm just so excited. I'm super pumped up, and she's like, "When is this going to be over?" Like I know you're in a good mood, you had a good day, but when is this all of this extra energy? When is this over? You have those feelings of like that. It's almost like you get a adrenaline rush afterwards and the satisfaction of of the addiction. It's a, it's like your body is saying you fucking did it today. You did everything that you wanted to do, and now we're gonna 
blast you with adrenaline or something for the rest of the day. You have those days? Absolutely. The days you forget to eat lunch. The days you forget to eat lunch. <laughs> yeah. Or forget Don't, to pee. How, cra- <laughs> how, how crazy is it yeah. that you could have the schedule, this this normal schedule, you have coffee, you have breakfast, you go to the bathroom, you go to the, and then one day, you forgot to eat. How is that? Or you forgot to pee. Yeah. I've been there. That's cra- I'll pee like 10 times mm-hmm. in like a couple of hours. And then all of a sudden, it's working, it's working, it's working, and then it's like the time machine. Yeah, you're the Hoover Dam all of a sudden. It's like, like the time <laughs> machine. It's like we used to call, I was in a metal shop once, I hated it. And I would drink Monster Energy drink, and I called it the time machine because you would have one, and then like time just like speeds up. And like you're out, you're you're done for the day very quickly. And there were these moments where that that you kind of forget to do things. Um, I also recognize that I I am addicted to that adrenaline too. In a way, like I, I'm using that term very loosely, but um, for example, that that uh, huge risk fact, factor that you have a lot to lose. Like there's a. a technique that you need to perform and you need to be fully present in order to execute um, or else hours of work is lost money is lost or even your life is in danger at some point um, and I realized like when I when I quit this uh, semiconductor like scientific glass blowing job where I was literally putting myself in harm's way on the, and like there was thousands of dollars on the line that um and I would have to perform accordingly. Um, and then when I transferred, uh, switched jobs, I actually like had this huge depression from not having that like um, kind of pressure on me at, at certain times. So, um, but I, I resonate with that. Like when you're just like walk out of there, like I just crushed the day. Yeah. And that's actually why I don't even like party anymore. Cause I just want to like mm-hmm. go to bed early, wake feeling, up yeah. early. To just destroy the next day. Do you think that comes from your own feelings or your own validation? Sure. It's it's the uh, um, I'm really hard on myself, and I recognize that, and like self discipline helps me curb that. Yeah, there's nobody else judging you when you're in process for the most part, except yourself. So it's like, you know. yeah. You have much higher self awareness, I think, than I have. I have a lot of time by myself. Yeah, <laughs> I think a lot. I th- I get that same feeling where like some days I come home and I'm so ant like forgot to eat lunch, having a killer day, everything's going great, having a lot of fun doing what I'm doing. I come home flying so high that I'm driving Frank crazy, and I need to like have a Negroni to like settle settle down because I'm just so like sped up and just. Even, like, just my heart is racing because I'm so excited about what I was doing or how it was going, and I, I don't I don't know how to... I don't know how to define it. I'm still working on trying to figure out what that is and why it... Why, how that happens and why it happens and how... We, better ways to manage it, too, you know? Yeah, I... I, uh, I have a few mental illness problems, and part of it is uh, what my process for just getting work done when I can't do something or I need to really... Is like the hook in the groove. I find something that will hook me into the groove, and I just get my brain down that road, and I, and I get going on something, and then I can shift if I need to, or I can just keep going that way, and then I can ride the high that comes after that, possibly into something else, overwork myself near to death doing it, but then just keep that, and just 
those three stages. I hook something else, I get in the groove on there, I take that high and I find the next hook and I just keep going that way for as long as I can until I can until I basically wear myself thin and then I crash for a while and then I just get back right back into it and try to do it again. You better be careful with that. Well, yeah, it's carefully managed behavior over the course of my lifetime that I've, I've been able to uh, direct. Mm-hmm. So. Years ago, I had I was talking to uh, the mother of a, a young artist, a young artist like you know, in high school, and she said to me, "What does it take to be an artist?" And I said to her, "The most important thing is." You have to think about it as if if you were uh, abandoned on a deserted island with no hope of rescue. You're never going to see another person in your life. Are you still going to make art? And if the answer is not, if you're going to, if you're saying you're not going to make art, then it's not for you. I feel like it becomes back to what you were saying, Andrea, in regards to the idea of chasing a feeling. I believe that real dedication and execution of your manifesting your creativity and your desires with without the ever seeing something at the light of day. Anyone no one's ever gonna see this ever again. No you've made this thing and maybe you just no one will ever see it. I think that I think that's kind of almost it's selfish, but it's more important as the growth of being an artist. It's human. It's 100% human. I know all you guys sculpt your mashed potatoes and arrange your peas, right? <laughs> I know it. You, you saw me tonight at dinner. <laughs> so what's the takeaway, ladies and germs? What's the takeaway in regards to creativity? Go ahead. Tell me the, 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 the things that may mean something to you. And For the young artists, the young makers, talk to me about Creativity and manifesting creativity. What's the most important part for you? Not giving a fuck. Not giving a fuck. Listen to no one. Listen it, to no one. It's your own unique journey, and it's not going to look like anyone else's. Any of your other friends that are artists, it's it's purely you, or it's nothing at all. But that's the hardest part of being in a community <laughs> of other makers and artists. You have a thing, because Jeff, you say about you know we're each on our own path. That, that really resonated with me, and I think about that. You well, know, you were just in, the, in not just the context of what I'm doing, but in a lot of different contexts. When I but, talk to my children, even. But you're here's, on your own path. It, you're on your own path. But however, when you're involved in a community and they're all doing your path, like here's a good example. I love, I lo- for fun. I like to make hammers. For me, I won't sell hammers. I won't. I give them away, but I won't sell them. And I don't think they're. I don't think they're great. I don't, I'm, but I'm enjoying every step of the game. I, I enjoy it very much. Like tonight, I got two hammers. I'm gonna. I'm gonna pop some holes in them. And we're gonna try to knock some things out tonight. I don't want other night. I don't want other hammer makers looking at my hammers because you know some of them are like nice. Some of them are nice, and then I get my you know my my master, my guru, John Ariani says, "Don't tell anybody I'm teaching you how to make hammers." Looking at my hammers, like, these things. Look t-. Yeah, I know he's breaking my balls, but at the same time, it's like I I I want the I want a degree of I don't want to be uh, uh, I don't want to be resistant to what I'm doing just because I'm afraid of somebody in my community telling me it's not good. Mm-hmm. Well, it was someone I look up to. I'm not trusting. He ain't listening to this. John ain't listening to this. And I ain't worried about that. I, I, and he, he's, he's my friend, good friend, and I appreciate everything I, I've learned from him. But at the same time, I, I want his approval. 
you have to practice falling down. You know, I, I believe that. Yeah, like, yeah. like physic, like actually, as I get older, I like, I like keeping good practice, like falling down, <laughs> on my, like falling on my actual face. You know, like, I'm not very careful or cautious, and my shop is very cluttered. But I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I got to be prepared. I got to practice falling down because as I get older, and I think in, it, it relates to the work I do as well. It's like you got to be, you got to practice falling down because you get resilient to it. And as Keith mentioned, you you get lessons from it. That you, you, you that don't dawn on you immediately. It is tough. Yeah. Not giving a fuck is great and great to hear yeah. and great to say, but it's fucking hard. It's of hard course. in practice. It's one of the hardest things in the world. I there look, there are knife makers here. Like Mareka Malasi is a friend of mine. I've been podcasting with him for five years. I talk to him once a week. He is my friend. I consider him to be like a little brother. I don't want him looking at my knives. I've known this guy a long time. I don't want him looking at my knives. I don't want him. I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of his judgment. Frankly, here's the thing that Leah was talking about with Keith and how they're both kind of searching for something conceptually the same, but their execution is completely different. Like, I think that's absolutely fair. Like, it it's not going to look like everybody else's piece. And like, I, I for example, I don't really want to be a, an ABS journeyman. Because I don't need necessarily their approval to know how a geometry of a blade is to cut something, right? Um, so, I mean, I may be, like, like you, like, there's certain things that you're doing in an orthodox manner, mm-hmm. but it, it doesn't have to be a specific way, and you're doing, like, you're doing your hammers the way that you want, just because you enjoy it, so fuck it, like... Yeah, and I understand. Like, uh, I would, I would probably way, be way more timid blowing glass at a glass blowing event. Mm-hmm. You know, right. like, um, and I'm actually really shy about my glass. That's actually what I'm most shy about um, because I know that's like to, um, compared to the people that I know that are just like, like, completely mind bending the stuff that they do and the hours that they put in. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I just also have to be like genuine and they're like yes I can blow glass and like I'm gonna share this thing that I like really care about with everybody else so what's the takeaway we've 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 covered a lot of ground yeah what's the takeaway just fucking do it just do it just do it just do it Leah what's the fucking takeaway uh you, you do you like be yourself that's the only way you're ever going to be happy if you're trying to appease someone else or measure up to someone else or you know it, it's awesome to look at other people see their talents get excited about the community get excited about what everyone else is doing and, and see see that and get inspired by it but ultimately at the end of the day if you're not making your own art you're you're not you're, you're just not going to be fulfilled Keith Wow, yeah, I mean, what's the takeaway? Um, I guess if you're searching for creativity in yourself, or you're searching for a voice, or you're searching for a reason of, of what, you, what it is you're doing, uh, not ever stopping searching that. And uh, some of us are lucky to, to uh, especially here at the table, to know our purpose pretty, pretty clearly in, ter- in terms of what we're, what we're, you know, what our lives and our journeys are going to be like. Um, and, you know, able to somewhat predict where we can go and like I think that in a good honest self search and just continuing to, to be to, to learn and to strive constantly and, and the next best thing to knowing it is that is having it sneak up on you 
and just recognizing it at the right time, and that's that's another stroke of luck. And, and you know, part of being a complete, a, a kind of like a, an artist that has a complete sense of self in terms of work is, is, is a very, very fortunate thing that almost nobody gets to. So, you know, if you feel like you got there, you probably haven't, and you should just keep trying to get there forever. Joshua Prince, what's the takeaway? I like to think, uh, accept that you're going to keep changing. You'll continually change as you develop. And uh, I make no predictions about where I'll be in the future. I'm just enjoying the path that I'm on. There's no guarantees. You know, I've been in so many different places in the past. There's very likely I'll be in many different places in the future. Like, that's what I expect. So except that things will probably change. Mark Adams, what's the fucking takeaway? Um, I, I mean, I think all of us as creatives, um, and it's going back to me saying, I don't give a fuck. I mean, I, I truly think that you know, each one of us is our harshest critic, and no one can judge us or our journey harsher than we can. So when we get to a point of being comfortable with ourselves, that frees us to not give a shit about what anybody else thinks and just move forward with the work that we want to live with. I'm going to say the takeaway is, as being creative people, we're completely impractical, (laughs) (laughs) we're completely unreasonable, we are striving for something that we will never achieve, and we wouldn't have it any other way. I know. Yep. All right. All right. Yep. Yep. Can I um, just thank everybody before you wrap Please. up? Please. I think it's amazing that you guys, you know, took the time and to come here and to share this and to share your wisdom with, with everybody else. So no, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you for thank you for, yeah. for, yeah. for the idea. This is an important conversation. Yeah. yeah. There should be more of this here at this event too, in general. Just more meetings of people from you know. We're coming at it from a lot of different angles, and we can get here and talk at these concepts. It's great. In a quieter, warmer. warmer. <laughs> <laughs> I knew. I need to wrap it up. How about, how about, how about a room? Quiet. <laughs> I, mean, I think I might have frostbite. I think I might have frostbite. I'm Ladies and gentlemen, thank you, Mark Adams Pictures. You did a great job. I'm very impressed with all of my guests all of your guests that you handpicked and allowed me to I don't know I don't know what you allow me to do be honest with you I don't know I'm I'm honored that you think that I could do this bullshit so no I I mean I absolutely thought you were the right choice for it yeah without a doubt yeah unbelievable I I wouldn't have picked anybody else honestly Lair Potch Pronounced Leah, Leah, Leah. I know. I was He was. so confident. You said Leah. You said Leah. I, I always know it was Andrea, Leah. Then I heard Andrea, someone. Yeah. Say, and then I heard Adriana. I, heard, I, 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 I know it's Leah. I call you Leah forever. He gives it both every yeah. time to just cover both bases. But I heard yeah. Leah at one point, and all of a sudden, I'm just like not feeling confident. Leah Arpach on Instagram. Andrea De Leon on Instagram. Joshua Prince, which is Prince Works Forge on Instagram. Keith Decent, which is Keith Decent on Instagram. And Mark Adams Pictures. Thank you, and thank you to the Blackthorn Resort. Austin's been fantastic. Thank you to Jimmy Duresta's heater. That's yes. not really... Yes. 
doing anything for me over here, but that's fine. It's a little, a little cold doing, on the side of the table. It's doing good for me. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of arctic over here on the side of the table. Yeah. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to see you next week. Thank you so much, Mark, for putting this together. Thank yeah. you to the, all the panel. And uh, we'll see you next week. All right? All right. So, and then make sure to come back to Maker Camp next year. Yes. And for sure, oh, listen, with that said, come join us in the Irish Alps. The Irish Alps, this is eastern New York. Follow uh, Catskill Mountain Maker Camp on Instagram. This is a great event, and they have a lot of really terrific uh, uh, things, of availabilities. There's, you learn how to weld, you learn how to woodwork, you learn how all the things you need to do in order to establish your creativity. You learn it right here. Great people, wonderful people that you've known on Instagram and, and in social media and otherwise. A very supportive network of people. I'm very honored to be here. And uh, that's it, right? Yep, that's, that's it. it. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank Thanks, you so yeah. much. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. <laughs> <laughs>